Welcome to Interwork with Marianne Walker, certified life coach for the helpers, healers, and anyone who wants to up-level their life. Life is what you make it, and here we make life pretty great. Come on in. So hello there and welcome back. I am so happy that you are here and I have some super exciting news for you. I've been checking out the stats for my podcast and this podcast is officially in the top 50% of podcasts. And how cool is that? So thank you. Thank you for listening and thank you for sharing. It just feels so good to know that our little community is growing and that you are finding resonance here. It's been especially fun for me to see how consistent the numbers are from episode to episode. It tells me that it's the same people showing up each and every week, and that really means a lot to me. So thank you. So today we're going to talk a bit about parenting and how we can help our children to develop their prefrontal cortex. Um, in episodes five and six, we talked about boundaries and manuals. So just to summarize, a boundary is what we're going to do to manage and regulate our own safety and emotions. And a manual is the invisible list of instructions that we carry around for how other people should think or act or behave. So in short, boundaries are self-empowering and manuals are controlling of others. I highly recommend going back and listening to those two episodes if you haven't already. Uh, we'll kind of talk a little bit about those things, but honestly, listening to those two episodes will definitely uh, build upon the ideas here in this episode. So oftentimes when people learn about boundaries and manuals, then they wonder, but how does this apply to parenting? Because as parents, aren't we supposed to tell our kids what they are and are not supposed to do? And my answer to that is, well, yes and no. <laughs> of course, when the child is small, it is our job to keep them safe. You know, for example, if we saw our three-year-old running out into traffic, we would grab them and get them to safety. They do not have the intelligence or the life experience yet to even comprehend what it means to be hit by a 4,000-pound moving vehicle. Until our child is grown, it is essentially our job as parents to act as their prefrontal cortex. But as they grow, it is also our job as parents to allow them space to learn for themselves. I mean, that's a good thing too, right? Because none of us wants to be responsible for our adult child for the rest of their lives. None of us want our adult children calling us for every single problem that arises. The goal of every parent is to raise capable and competent human beings that are able to keep themselves safe and provide for their own financial, emotional, spiritual, relational, intellectual needs. So I'm now going to share just a few of my personal thoughts on parenting. These will be in no particular order, just some things that I've been thinking on recently as I'm raising three teenagers. But the overarching theme in each of these, you're going to see my belief that it is the parent's job to be the prefrontal cortex for their child until they're able to navigate things on their own. And that means there is kind of a bit of a transitional period, right? Where we kind of wean them off of us. And yes, that does also mean that there will come a day where you need to just let go and let the kids figure that out on their own, which I know as a mother is easier said than done. <laughs> so, all right, here we go. Number one, create a safe place where children can learn. Um, the absolute best advice I was ever given as I was starting out my family was, don't worry so much about making your home a place where bad things don't happen, but instead focus on making your home a place where good things can happen. And that advice has absolutely resonated with me and molded who I am as a parent. I want my house to be the house where my kids can hang out. 
I want my house to be the house where we can make messes in the kitchen and figure things out by actually doing them. I love making candy with kids, for example, and learning about the difference between softball stage and hard crack stage and how just those few degrees in our cooking can make such a huge difference in the outcome of the recipe. You know, it's just learning trial and error. And it's a super fun science experiment and one of my favorite things to do with kids when I have them over. Um, so that's a lot of fun. I also really admire my own mother. Uh, growing up, one thing that I learned from my mom <laughs> was how cool it is to be a little kid and to be able to crack eggs. My mom was very good at always giving the, even the smallest of children an opportunity to crack eggs when cooking in the kitchen. And I just loved that, you know, sometimes and that meant digging the shells out of the cookie dough, <laughs> or it might mean cracking the eggs in a separate bowl. But I loved that she taught um, that beautiful lesson of offering the opportunity to let children try things, even if it might get a little messy, even if you have to pick out the shells. Um, but it was just kind of a, a beautiful thing that I will always remember that she offered to us growing up and to all kids that came into our kitchen. So I believe that we all learn in one of two ways. We either learn from another person's experience or we learn through our own experience. And ultimately, it is learning through our own personal experience that is the best teacher. But that being said, obviously, there are some things in life that I would absolutely prefer that my kids learn through other people's experiences rather than trying it out for themselves. You know, for example, I would prefer that my kids learn through articles and videos and other people's experiences that vaping isn't good for them. And because of that, you know, I'm definitely more willing and not just willing, but like very proactive about sharing information with my teens about um, you know, articles about teenagers getting lung transplants due to vaping and and how many chemicals are in these vapes, how many chemicals are in cigarettes. Um, I want to have all those conversations. And at the same time that I am working to have those conversations, I also know that I cannot be there every second of every day to police my children and to make sure that they never try vaping. It is ultimately something that is out of my control. And I would exhaust myself trying to control that. But what is in my control is working to make it a safe space to talk about vaping with my kids. I can make it safe to talk with them about, well, do you have any friends that have tried vaping? And where do the kids at school vape? And how do you feel about that? I can ask questions from a place of non-judgmental curiosity to better understand what they are facing um, day in and day out. I can't control them. But I can ask questions that can help to activate and develop their prefrontal cortex. So I can ask questions that get them thinking about how would they respond if a friend asked them if they wanted to vape. I can ask them why they think their friends vape. Where do they get vapes? <laughs> what do they think about their friends participating in these things? I can ask what is it like to be a teenager nowadays when everything is just so accessible and so prevalent. You know, I can work to understand their situation and I can work to get them thinking about how they would respond in different situations. Now, if I am trying to have these conversations with my kids and I start writing down the names of their friends that are vaping and telling them, well, you can't hang out with them anymore and judging and shaming these friends that have made that choice to vape, then I have just made it unsafe for my kids to talk about their experience and, and share their thought processes with me. I, and in that instance, I have essentially lost my opportunity to influence what decisions my kids may make. Um, so, and that makes it significantly more likely that my teens will make choices that I would rather they didn't make. 
So making it safe in my mind means being non-reactive. Now, this doesn't mean that you are permissive. It doesn't mean you let your children walk all over you. Um, It also doesn't mean that you don't take action when needed. So for example, if I did find a vape in my high schooler's bedroom, I would take action and remove it. And there may may be additional consequences as well. Um, But I can take action without being reactive, if that makes sense. So being reactive would mean yelling, name calling, uh, telling them that they won't amount to anything, shaming, judging, all these other things coming up. Um, So when your feelings and your reactive behavior becomes the focus rather than the child's misconduct, um, you know that it's time to take a breather and that you're reacting to your emotions rather than acting from a place of calm. And in this moment, even for you, you know, it, it makes it really hard for you to act as your child's prefrontal cortex, because in that moment, your own prefrontal cortex is offline, right? You're acting through your primitive mind and being reactive. So if you notice that the tone of your voice or the uh, volume rather is increasing, that may be an indicator that you are reacting rather than acting. So take a minute, cool off. Um, There's it's, it's very rare that something needs to be addressed in that immediate moment. You can generally always take, you know, 30 seconds even can be helpful or five minutes, 20 minutes, whatever the case may be, or sleep on it. Um, but, but take what time you need to get yourself into a state of mind where you can act rather than react. And that will really help to create that safe space. So acting as a parent does mean creating that safe space. It means um, that you may be removing things from the home that may be harmful for your child. It may mean setting healthy boundaries such as curfews and things, but acting means engaging from a place of calm. So practice checking in with self and see where your head and your heart are at when you're experiencing conflict. And if you are able to see multiple points of view and take time to respond, those are very good indicators that you are more than likely acting rather than reacting. Okay, number two, please don't say I told you so. (laughs) No one likes to be told I told you so. It doesn't matter if it's coming from a parent or a friend, a boss or a coworker. Nobody likes it. Uh, But let me tell you one reason why this phrase can be especially harmful in the parent-child relationship. Uh, Let's say, for example, that you have been hounding your teen about studying for their math test. They chose to talk on the phone with a friend or surf the internet or whatever the case may be, rather than study. As a result, they bomb the test. So the inclination as a parent is to go back to them and say, I told you you should have studied. You spent all your time talking on the phone and surfing the internet instead of studying. I just knew that that friend or that that TV show or whatever, it was a bad influence on you and and you're laying on the blame and the shame. And so can you kind of see what's happening here? Um, When you're laying on the blame and the shame, the conversation has now become essentially about the parent's emotional reaction and the parents need to be quote unquote right rather than it actually being about the natural consequences of the child's actions. And and we really, as parents, want the child to recognize and make that connection that when I do this, then this happens. If they can make their own correlation between cause and effect, boy, that is good for the prefrontal cortex. So we need to allow space for that. So a more supportive way to approach this might be saying something like, hey, it looks like you got a 32 on your Algebra 2 test. How do you feel about that? How have things been going for you in the classroom? Uh, What things do you think you might be able to do to improve your test score for next time? 
And, and this approach, it helps to keep the subject on um, accountability for the teen and the results that they have created, which really helps to get them thinking about next steps. And that's what brings our prefrontal cortex online, right? Is thinking about the future. Um, oftentimes, you know, our, our prefrontal cortex, I mean, that's what's going to help us to make good decisions is planning for the future. It's our primitive mind that only focuses on the now and it wants to uh, seek out pleasure and avoid pain. And so, of course, our primitive mind is not going to want to study. <laughs> but we have to have that natural consequence of um failing that test or whatever the case may be, getting that grade in order to feel that, to recognize, oh, maybe I do want to choose something different because ultimately I will be happier that way. Oftentimes when parents react rather than act, it becomes all about our emotional reaction, which means that oftentimes the teen's takeaway isn't what we want it to be. You know, we, we want the teen's takeaway to be, oh, I guess I should study more or, oh, I should stay sober or whatever the case may be. Uh, but instead, their takeaway may be when we're acting out of that place of reactivity, oh, don't make mom mad. Don't make dad mad. And if they, they recognize, too, in this moment that if they do do something that you disagree with, um, that they will recognize that they don't want to make mom and dad mad rather than they want to make the right choice. And that's also going to increase the odds of them hiding it or lying about it versus sharing with you. And again, that's going to be a missed opportunity when it comes to providing influence. Uh, yeah, so it also, again, that really helps to get the prefrontal cortex online thinking about the future. Uh, we can ask questions from a place of loving support, free of judgment, and we can put ourselves on the same side of the issue as our teen and be a coach and a mentor rather than a policing parent. So again, with the studying and the test, if you could, if because really you and your teen are on the same side, you both want them to be successful. And so putting yourself on the same side of the issue about all right, like what support do you need right now is going to help them to, to de develop their prefrontal cortex and also help you to know what help they really do need and also alleviate so much pressure on you to sit and micromanage your teen and make sure that they are studying and, and all of those things. So it really is kind of a win-win. Okay, number three, allow consequences. So if your child does bomb a test, let them experience what that feels like. Don't call the teacher and tell them that it's their fault, that they failed to teach it well, or that the grading system is messed up. Just let your kid experience what it's like to bomb a test. Let that be the lesson. If your teen gets a parking ticket, let them pay for it. If they create a problem for themselves, you can be there to offer help if needed and if they ask for it. But but be sure that even if you're stepping in, that you aren't taking away the consequence. Um, it's good to just take a moment in those situations to ask yourself, would this be helping or would this be enabling? And allow those consequences to be the teacher. So, for example, my kids know how I feel about drinking. They know that I don't approve of anything that inhibits one's ability to think clearly or that could lead to addiction. But also, if my child did choose to drink at a party and then realized it was unsafe for them to drive home, I would hope that they would feel safe calling me and saying, hey, I drank and it's not safe for me to drive home. Can you come and get me? I would far prefer that versus them trying to hide the fact that they were drunk and putting themselves and others at risk by um, trying to get themselves home. So in this instance, you know, there's, there's a few lessons happening, right? They have already had the recognition that 
oh, I have done something that has inhibited my ability to get myself home safely. They already have that that realization. Um, they've also kind of probably experienced a little bit of embarrassment and shame over having to call mom or dad to come and pick them up from the party. Um, that's all part of the natural consequence. And the parents can choose at that point, depending on the age of the child and the situation, if there are any additional boundaries that need to be in place for, for future things. Um, but but really, it's good to take a moment um, to recognize, okay, I'm having a huge emotional reaction to this. And sometimes when we're having that big emotional reaction, we are neglecting to see that, oh, my child is learning that they are, that they are, it's unsafe for them to drive in this instance or whatever the case may be. So, so kind of check in with self uh, when our emotions become inflamed, it can sometimes be hard to see that lessons are actually being learned and us increasing our volume isn't going to necessarily help the situation. <laughs> so natural consequences are definitely the best way to learn. Um, just remember to let the consequence do the teaching and make yourself available if they ask for help. Don't follow them around making comments like, if only you had listened to me, this never would have happened. Because again, that's another big, I told you so. All right, number four, influence versus control. My children are a bit older. They're currently 19, 17, and 15, and each stage of parenthood has its struggles. Uh, but for me, the current struggle is recognizing that while my kids are getting older, they will make choices that I would rather they didn't make. And you know what? <laughs> I am sure that I made choices that my parents would have preferred I didn't make. That is part of growing up. It's also kind of interesting to observe my mind as my kids grow older. Uh, and, and just kind of see what's coming up for me. Cause I have made it a goal for myself to say yes, as often as possible so that I can reserve my nose for when it's really, really needed. Um, if I'm saying no to everything, it'll just be, oh, well, she says no to everything. I'll just go ahead and do this thing. So I really do try to say yes as often as possible and reserve my nose for when they're really, really needed. I have been blessed with teenagers that have asked me why like their whole lives and it used to drive me batty right everybody has that two-year-old that wants to know why 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 for everything <laughs> and yes at certain stages I would tell them well because I said so and that would be sufficient uh, but as they get older it really is good for you as the parent to think about your why you know whether your kid is asking to dye their hair pink or asking for a septum piercing or whatever the case may be um, really take some time to think about your why I have had to ask myself why about many things, and I have learned that for most of the things that I want to say no to, it's generally because I'm worried about one of two things. Either I'm worried about how it will impact other people's perception of me as a parent, or I am concerned about how my child will be received by the world. So for example, I have one teen who has mapped out 10 piercings that she would like that's just for her face. <laughs> so of course, when I saw that list, I was in shock and she wanted to know my why for why I was telling her, no, you can't go and get all those, those piercings right now. So I'll kind of tell you a little bit about how it played out because I know that you're super curious. So first I expressed concerns. You know, I told her that I was concerned about her ability to get a job with that many face piercings. So I just opened up a dialogue about that. I asked her what she thought she may want to do for a career. 
And she let me know that she would like to either be a teacher or a therapist or a tattoo artist. And honestly, I think that she would be amazing at any of those things. She is an extremely talented artist and she is very wise and empathetic. And I think that she would thrive in any of those. Um, So we kind of talked about what would that look like in each of those career settings. She is also a very skilled debater. (laughs) So, So when I did talk with her about my concerns about how she might be received by others, she was very quick to shoot holes in my argument around, you know, pointing out the fact that other people's opinions of us don't really matter. And she was also very quick to point out that she's nearly 18 and soon we will have no control anyway. And all of those things are true, you know, but it it was nice to have just an open dialogue where she also said, well, you know, like with the septum ring, I could just flip it up inside of my nose. And, and even though you think that piercings are permanent, I could take them out at any point and let them heal over. So it was an opportunity to kind of discuss what might this look like? And what if you change your mind later? Uh, What's the difference between something permanent versus semi-permanent, you know, like tattoos versus piercings and and what do you feel is age appropriate we really just kind of talked all about that and ultimately what we talked about was that it is my job as a parent when it comes to anything that is permanent or semi-permanent um, that it is my job to help her to slow her role and give her prefrontal cortex more time to develop so i absolutely believe her when she tells me that she wants all of these piercings and that she will get all the piercings and tattoos that she wants, probably in the not so distant future. Uh, But in the meantime, I can focus on keeping the lines of communication open. I can focus on doing my own self-coaching around my kids' appearance. I can love and encourage her to be the best at whatever it is that she decides to do in life, whether that be as an art teacher or a tattoo artist, because truly that's what I want. I want her to be happy and successful doing whatever it is that she is doing. And I'm positive she can find a way to do that with whatever piercings she would like. (laughs) We also ultimately came to the conclusion that opinions are opinions, right? We like to oftentimes as parents attach a a moral stance on something. Uh, But really what it came down to is I have an opinion on what face piercings I like and don't like. And she has a different opinion. And that's okay. Our opinions will probably never be the same, but that doesn't change my love for her. My love for her is not conditional upon the number of holes in her body. Um, I did, just as a side note, I, I did hear about one mom that told her son that if he waited until 21 to get this tattoo that he was wanting, and if at age 21 he wanted the exact same tattoo that he wants now at age 18, that she would pay for it. And I thought that was kind of a brilliant idea of a way to help her son learn to slow his role while also radically accepting that he's going to end up doing whatever he's going to do. And the parents can choose to keep the door open and have an open dialogue. And, and that's one way to um, keep the door of influence open, or they can choose to close that door and, um, and that will create a different result. So take some time today to think about what is it that you really want your relationship with your teen to look like and develop your own prefrontal cortex by asking, thinking about the future and asking yourself, what kind of a relationship do I want with my adult children? And then also think about what shifts can you make right in the here and now to let your kid know that you do love them unconditionally and that you will always be a safe person that they can turn to. So I would love to hear your parenting thoughts and ideas. And and yeah, I hope we can have a great discussion about this. I'll talk to you soon. Have a great week.